Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And like always, we talk about the freshest of topics and have the freshest of guests for you. The guest for this episode is drummer, producer, author, and former rapper Jay Zone. We talk about his new 7 inch single from his project, The Do Rights, with Tom Tom Club guitarist Pablo Martin, along with his transition from being a rapper to solely being a drummer and producer. A lot of frustrations and lack of passion that Jay Zoom talks about with being a rapper is very interesting and something that I think a lot of people feel in their own creative spaces. Being someone that has been a jack-of-all-trades type of person in the past, his perspective on... So this interview is a great listen for anyone in any sort of artistic space. And remember, go cop that new 7-inch single from The Do Rights called Jerry Curl on Bandcamp at thedorights.com bandcamp.com it will be linked in the show notes for this episode at freshesthepodcast.com and remember on june 19th this friday also known as juneteenth bandcamp is donating 100 percent of their share of sales to the naacp legal defense fund a racial justice organization with a long history of effectively enacting change through litigation advocacy and public education after interviewing jay zone i initially wanted to use this opening to talk about my own experiences and frustrations with being a DJ in Detroit since around 2004. But I realized that story needs an episode of its own. When I started DJing, most DJs were still using either vinyl or CDs to spin. Laptops and controllers of all types weren't extremely prevalent at the time, so I got to see that transition. Along with a lot of my experiences are tied to some historical aspects of Detroit music. So I plan on telling that story eventually on my other podcast, which is called Renaissance Soul, that is just dedicated towards Detroit music history. Renaissance Soul will actually be relaunching next Monday, June 22nd, with an episode dedicated to what Renaissance Soul actually is, meaning the original website that I created back in 2001 and where I plan on taking things with this podcast. I have a few episodes up right now when I have originally launched this podcast back in fall, but I will be tweaking those and re-releasing those eventually. 
But uh, go to, uh, just go ahead and search Renaissance Soul on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. And uh, hit that subscribe button so you're ready for the relaunch when it comes to Monday. But uh, like always, just, uh, and also stay tuned at freshofthepodcast.com. All right, let's get into my interview with Jay Zone after a word from our sponsor. All right, welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. The guest for this episode is drummer, funky tune maker, writer, hip-hop artist, one half of the Do-Rights, studio tour drummer, Jay Zone. How you doing today? I'm all right, man. As good as can be. How about yourself? I'm cool, man. I'm cool. It's, um, you know, we got some, uh, some crazy times these days. But um, you know, yeah, we, we you know gotta get through them, man. Somehow, somehow, some way, right? Eat, eat one day at a time. That's been my motto for 2020. Don't only thing you can plan is your groceries. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I think right, I'm gonna, right. uh, I think I'm running out of fish, so you know I'm gonna go get uh, about 15 pounds of that, and then gonna, <laughs> get some vegetables, and then protein powder, and oatmeal, and water. And, you know, like like that's the only thing you can plan. Everything else, you might as well toss it down the garbage chute. You know, <laughs> right, right. Like, you don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, right? That's the, that's the thing. Uh, that's been the 2020 motto: like plan for plan for tomorrow anything beyond that you're kind of setting yourself up for a change of plans right you can take a nap and then come up you know and check social media and be like yo what the hell just happened right that's 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 what it's been man it's it's um it's funny you say that i have a new record coming out this week with my band uh the do rights of 45 and we put this thing in production in late January, early February. We wrote the songs and recorded mix in January. We put it in very early February. Right. So like as we're finishing the songs, Kobe Bryant dies. Then it's like, oh snap. And then two weeks later, there's like a massive fire in the plant that provides the lacquers for vinyl records uh, in California. And it was like, so vinyl production, like it was like the future of vinyl production is gonna be grim. Like, that's what everybody was saying. And it was like, we managed to get our record in production. Like, yo, we got it in just <laughs> as the fire happened. And then it's like, okay, at least we have a record for this year. And then it was like one thing after the other. And then COVID and then George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. It was just like one thing after the other, after the other. And now we have this record that is totally not reflective of, of our current. It's like some lighthearted, heavy funk. Right. Like, I uh, saw your post about that on Twitter and I, that's, I was going to just ask you about that. I was like, man, you guys, you got this record coming out. That's like, like the world has changed so much since, you know, you produced it and it sounds yeah. so different than what you would, you know, than what the times feel like now. Yeah. And it's like, but I mean, that's the nature of vinyl pressing. And that was kind of the nature of music before the internet, right? In the, in this in the eighties and seventies yeah. and sixties, I'm sure people recorded things and then something happened. Then it was like you know, records used to take a while to come out. I mean, particularly yeah. when in the early like in the sixties, seventies, eighties, you could even vinyl, you could turn it around in two weeks because the pressing plants were going. But as the plants started to slow down, like in the last 10, 15 years, it'll take you three or four months to get a physical release out. And it's like if you put something in, you know, something could change and all of a sudden you got product that totally doesn't fit 
the time it comes out in, but we're kind of an instrumental group. So it, it's like, it doesn't really, it's not as crazy as like, you know, we're singing about, you know, love, peace, happiness, and you know, everybody, everything's great and happy. I'm making a million dollars. I'm healthy. And it, like, like you come out with this crazy record. So it's instrumental. So we have some salvage in that, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's a, uh, maybe it's something that's needed, you know, like. Well, that's what that's the other side, right? Like it's like with all the, you know, there's going to be a lot of protest music. Is every even everything just got darker, on its own. Like even instrumental music can. How do you use chord progressions? You know, like how are you? You know, the, the energy behind how you're playing an instrument or how you're composing, can just your mood can affect that. And you know, you start using these really dark, screwed up minor chords and. D- diminished chords, you know, like it kind of can reflect the mood, but it's like, you know, at the same time, there's always a need for, you know, things that are different. And cause you know, people are, some people are still going to want to hear that kind of stuff. And it kind of gives you a, a, you know, funk song is two and a half minutes. So, you know, a two and a half minute break isn't going to kill anybody. You can still, you know, be Sir Woke if you want to be, <laughs> you, can still, you know, you could, you could, you, you could be like, I'm going to change the world, but you know, you, you can stop and listen to some cool funk and then, you know, eat, eat your, uh, eat your quarter pounder with cheese and then go right on back to your, to your mission to take over the world. So it's, we, we look at it that way and it's like, okay, you know, that's just the way that, that life goes, man. And in music in, in particular. So, but, you know, yeah. even when you're, we, even when we're going through these times where there's protests and whatnot, you still need like those that lightness amongst it. You know, like yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Like even here great. in Detroit, like dance parties will break out on the streets during the protest. You know, because you have yeah. to have that release. Music is music is essential, man. I see music as essential because it's healing, and um, you know, it does it does a lot for me. You know, like. I, Every day, you know, music has gotten me through through so many parts of my life, you know, and um, I'm a fan before I'm an artist. So like the music of other people has, has gotten me through some rough times and, and all kinds of music, not just music speaking to what I was going through, just music, period. It just, you know, so I, I feel like music is kind of like an essential thing right now. And, um, you know, it's like you can't look at it. How could you be making music at a time like this? How could you be selling music at a time like this? Like, I think all artists, all artists have that guilt because if you're sitting there with a twelve hundred dollar check and trying to decide between rent and frozen tuna steaks, <laughs> it's like, you know, hey, I got a new album. It's kind of like, oh shit. But, but you know, again, like to some people, they'd rather have an album than a tuna steak. So it's, it's like you got to kind of look at things. And that lens and, you know, you have to continue whatever it is that your passion is and and whatever you're contributing, you have to contribute. So, you know, when I started looking at things in that way, it was like, all right, cool. So we're going to put out some funk on Friday and uh, I'm I'm cool with that. (laughs) But I think with, you know, with the protests and wanting all this reform for uh, for police officers and just the, you know, being anti-racist, you know, attacking racist views in um in in society. I think like this time more than any other time, like I don't think anybody should feel guilty about selling their art because I think that's a part of the problem is exactly. that especially for like black creators, they're not mm-hmm. getting they're not given the exposure, the opportunities. So how about, you know, I'm you know, I'm glad when black creators of all 
you know, all kind is coming out with new product right now because we can, you know, invest into those people. Right. And it's like, that's all, some, for, that's all we got, you know, sometimes like we feel, we feel that like, that's, that's, you know, our contribution to, to what's going on. So it's, it's, it's a huge help and it's throughout history, it's been the same way, you know, so I'm looking at it in a, in a positive light and, you know, I just get back up and work on my craft and, and, and move forward. You know, that's, that's really all you can do, you know? So you were somebody who, you know, you, you um, came in the game, you were, um, all sorts of little, you know, I was reading your bio, all sorts of studio jobs and whatnot. Then you started producing, you know, start putting on your own hip hop albums. And then you walked away, you know, after the frustrations of the music mm -hmm. industry and you put it down on, you know, pen and paper in a book, you know, the root for the villain, you know, rap right. and the celebration of failure, you know, stuff like that. Like I see a lot of that happening. Um, I saw a lot of that happening with, uh, you know, Detroit hip hop artists that I know where, you know, they were trying to get somewhere and it what it didn't happen. They quit having fun with it. They walked away for a little bit. They came back and started making the best music of their life because they got rid of all the pressures and everything, you know? So mm -hmm. like when, you know, right now, how do you feel about making music? I love it. This is the happiest I've ever been making music because before I was a hip hop artist, when I was young, I was a bass player. That was my introduction to music. In the fourth grade, I got a bass guitar and I was an only child and I was a loner and I was kind of socially isolated where I was living and going to school. So my only escape was, and I wasn't really too heavy into the video games and yeah. G.I. Joes and Transformers and cartoons. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was into it, but not like other kids. It was like, okay, after five, I play Atari five minutes, you get bored. So, but the thing that made me happiest was going through my parents' records and pulling out my bass guitar and trying to mimic what was on the records. And this is maybe 1987, 88, 89. So I'm like okay. 10, 10, 11, 12. The music that I'm listening to was made in the 60s and the 70s. And it's like, this is my parents' music. This isn't what my peers are listening to. Right, right. And, you know, I, I had a big afro in school. I, I was like, I will look at the back of the funk albums. Like, I want to look just like that. So I, <laughs> so I would never get haircuts. I would always have a pick and pick the fro out. And then I would go, my grandfather or my dad, my uncle, I would try to find their old shirts from the 70s and wear those. So it's like, I'm looking like a kid in this 1972 in 1987 so everybody's like yo what is wrong with this dude <laughs> like because everybody you know was in the run dmc ll cool j houdini fat boys you know so everybody was kind of like with the shell toes and everybody you know the adidas and everybody right. was you know the it was just hip-hop sweatsuits jogging suits kangles and i was just like trying to look like i was in the ohio players as like a 11 year old and it was just weird to people and but that was the time in my life when I was the happiest because it was just me and my own world with this music and I'm imagining myself playing bass in a funk band. And then you know what happened was my peers were just peer pressure it was like listen to hip hop yada yada. I'm like I don't want to listen to that shit. They're like just listen to it. So then when I listened to it, you know it was like I, I recognized the samples. I didn't know what sampling was. I was 12 years old, but I was like wait a minute, that's cool in the game. That's James Brown. 
And I'm hearing it in a hip hop beat, and that intrigued me. So when I eventually figured out what was going on, I decided to become a producer because I didn't have to find seven other guys to form a band. I was playing bass by myself in my room. Right. And right. I got real good, but no one wants to pay to see a solo bass player. So it's <laughs> like, well, what am I going to do? So, but, you know, of course I loved hip hop. I, I had a lot of fun. You know, I, no regrets. I enjoyed it. But it was like, I eventually just lost the passion for it. And in order for me to find, like you mentioned, the guys in Detroit, like for me to find my love for music again, I had to scrap everything, write the book, get rid of all the, the negative feelings and the bitterness I had, and then start from what got me into music in the first place. So I was like, I'm, I can still play, but I, I said, I'm gonna go back to doing my funk stuff. Cause that's was, that, there's no, that, that memory wasn't tainted by music business experience. Like the memory of me being into funk was all positive. It was like this escape. Yeah. And I was like, I just wanna feel that again. I wanna feel like I'm a kid again. So I went back into my funk bag heavy and the only difference is I changed from bass to drums because I just I realized that after being a DJ and a hip-hop producer and stuff I had like a, a ear for rhythm and I just got really when I got away from music for those years I just had been listening to like a lot of drum like Billy Cobham albums and you know James all, all the funk guys Bernard Purdy, Clyde Stubblefield, George right. Brown you know, and then I would listen. I would listen to like a lot of Elvin Jones. I just took an interest in like drumming when I was gone, but I didn't know that I was gonna play. I just was listening to a lot of drummers, and then I was like, well, if I'm gonna go back to playing funk and being an instrumentalist, maybe I can try the drums. And people are like, well, you're 34 years old and you have no experience. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, well. I don't know if I want to play the bass like that. I picked up a bass like in a Sam Ash and I was kind of goofing off. And I was like, oh, I still got a little something, but I'm like, I want to. and then I went sat at the drums, drum set. And I was like, yeah. And I was, you know, I had never really played that much in my life. I didn't have those skills, but I was like, I think I could get into this. And when I would, <laughs> you know, watch YouTube and see footage of like Buddy Rich and Jack DeJanet, Max Roach and, you know, like Bernard, you know, Bernard Purdy and all these guys, I'd be like, man, I want to do that. So then <laughs> I eventually, you know, at, at the date, the book came out October 3rd. Two days later, my dad had been visiting New York because at the time my grandmother was ill and we used to kind of, it was a two man job trying to take care of her because she had dementia and stuff. It was crazy. So my dad was in town and I was teaching college classes at the time, teaching music classes at my alma mater, uh, Purchase College. And my, I had been talking to my dad about drumming and I bought a pair of sticks and I was just kind of playing on a little practice pad. I come home from teaching school and there's a drum set in my basement. Like he bought it for a cheap drum set. He bought it for me as a surprise. And he's like, look, wow. man, you, you've been bitter. I, I, like I was 35, 34 years old, but I felt like I was nine years old getting a set at Christmas. <laughs> like I'm a grown ass man and my father's buying me a drum set. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, listen, man, like yo, you're a musician. Like music is your thing. You've been bitter. You've been bitter about the rap thing. You know, the book came out and that's great, but I know that music is your thing. Like at least give it a try, you know, because I had been DJing and stuff here and there, but I was a creator, like, and, and I had no interest in rapping whatsoever. Producing was like, I was just bored, you know, but then when I started playing drums and then I started putting the time in and sacrificing so I could practice five, six hours a day, 
And I started seeing results. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And then I started recording myself and realizing I could get like this authentic, gritty breakbeat sound that a lot of live drummers couldn't get. I was like, well, I'm not as dexterous as those other drummers, but I have an engineering recording background from being a hip hop producer yeah. to knowing what drums should sound like. And when I was recording myself, I was like, that sounds like an old record. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice, so then nice. I, I, this, this, this light switch went off. And then, you know, I eventually, you know, I made my two final hip hop albums. I played drum live drums on them. And, you know, I, I got back into beats for a little while because when you play your own drums, it changes the way you look at producing because now you're, you can create whatever rhythm you want rather than finding a loop or chopping a yeah, break yeah. or programming. I could play and I could make it sound authentic. So I, I was like, well, I'll get back into doing what I was doing because it was comfortable. It was familiar. And then I incorporated the drums. But when I was doing, I did two rap albums, 2013 and 2016, 15, 16, which was uh, Peter Pan Syndrome, Fish and Grits. And I remember recording those albums and I was like, OK, people expect me to rap final rap. You know, I'm producing, obviously. But like 98 percent of my enjoyment came from playing the drums. The other two percent just felt like, well, this is what people expect me to do. So I'm just going to do it. OK, here's, and all the songs were like one verse because I just really wasn't invested. I was like, all right, here's, here's 24 bars about some stupid shit. Here's a sample I found 10 years ago and never used. And then I'd spend four days on the drums. <laughs> so, so after I did those two albums, you know, it was kind of like, well, why? if my focus is drums, why am I messing around like making rap albums when my heart isn't really in it like that? You know, and then by then I had put in enough practice. I started rehearsing with bands and playing with other musicians. I had formed the do rights with my partner, Pablo. I auditioned for this uh, the band, uh, another band and gotten in. So I started like paying my due. I was paying my dues over the course of four or five years. Right. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm proficient enough as a drummer to not have to make rap records. I could just be a drummer. <laughs> you know, and I right, was like, right. I, I can finally focus. And I think that's when I realized that all my career, I had always kind of been a jack of 57,000 trades. And I realized like everybody who's ever made a real impact eventually mastered one or two things like, you know, and, and time like at that time, around that time I had turned 40, you know, so it was kind of like when you start getting older, the money's one thing, but your time is your most valuable asset, man. Like, yeah, definitely time. Yeah, like, like, like your you energy. Like, yeah, yeah you got like, you to put your energy into something specific, you know? Right. Cause, you know, and also I'm still trying to pay bills, you know? So it's, it's kind of like, but in order to pay bills, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I can do, I could DJ rap, write, produce, freelance, produce, play drums, do this, do that. Like, if I spend 20 minutes on each thing a day, I'll only get so far. So in order for me to get to the next level with, with drumming and composing, and, and you know, which is what I was really focused on, I was like, I got to start cutting things. So then I I, right. entire, I, I quit rapping a thousand percent entirely <laughs> in 2015, you know, and then um, producing, like I went into 2016, and then, I, you know, I found myself doing a lot of cash grab production stuff. And then I was just kind of like, you know what, why am I cut it? Like, what, what, like what, what, you know, people will be disappointed. You have fans who follow you, who want that. You're going to do But at the end of the like when you free up that extra three hours that you spent 
and you you focus the energy on your band, drums, you know, learning your music theory, getting getting your composing chops together. When I really zeroed that in, that's when I really started to make bigger leaps and bounds. Yeah. And that was the huge lesson in, in terms of being disciplined about what you focus on as opposed to trying because we're a cash grab. We're in a cash grab world like everybody does 50,000 things because it's called gig economy. Like. Yeah, the gig economy. Yep. But the problem is that's why you read articles and it's 50,000 typos. That's why you read articles. and <laughs> I see you interview Dart Adams like Dart, I know Dart is like it, it drives him nuts when there's historical inaccuracies <laughs> and like he just blacks out on Twitter. But I kind of understand where he's coming from because right. his, he's so dedicated to detail and history that when he sees somebody kind of like who probably does 15,000 other things and they just do some half-assed thing, it drives him ape shit. Now I understand that because when you're a craftsman and you're super focused, hyper-focused on something, then, then it, you become consumed by it, and then that's when you really unlock the next level. When, when you allow yourself to be consumed by what you're doing, yeah. and you don't get distracted by. We already got to run social media accounts. You got to know how to use our movie. You got to know how to do. Yeah, you, know, you got to do all these different things these you days. These you know, things, just every, to, these things that everybody has to do. You got to be your own promoter, your own manager, your own. <laughs> right. So you already lose five, six hours a day, or whatever it is doing the things just to survive as an independent artist. But then now if you're going to try to have eight or nine disciplines, you're screwed. Like after that, like the rest of your day better be focused on two, three things at the max. Like that's it. Like once you start having four or five, six things you do, you're, it's, 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 it winds up being a dead end. And right. that's what I, that's what happened to me. And then I had that epiphany and then I just dropped everything and decided to focus, you know, these days um, uh, when, like you had this thing where you're kind of like this jack of all trades. You re you realize you need to kind of, you know, cut some things out of your life. You know, these days, you know, what do you still kind of like keep at arm's reach to like go to, you know, and how do you balance that? Like, like things that aren't necessarily a focus, but I still dabble in them. That, that yeah. Happens? And you'll, and if an opportunity comes up, you know, you'll consider it. Writing. Like I'm always like, I'm always going to be a writer. Like, like, like I wrote the book and everybody's like, yo, write another one. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Like you got to, I lived 33 years to write that book. You know <laughs> right. I mean? So, so it's kind of like, you know, but, but I'm old, like my main focus is my band and drumming and composing like full time into the music. But I'm always going to be a writer, even if it's just tweets, like Twitter is writing. You're just limited by the characters. So you got to be witty. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know and that's what I liked about, like, I like about your Twitter is like, a lot of your tweets, you know, are just very concise and say something in those 280 characters. Yeah, it's it's like that's my writing. I just learned how to edit the hell out of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, that it, with the character limit. And when it was 140, it was even, you know, harder. But and you can do threads and stuff. But my Twitter's my writing. Like, I'll be writing a tweet, and if it's a thread and I'm telling a story or making a point, I'll be there editing like I'm editing an article. Or, or, you know, or whatever. So, you know, like writing is not in the forefront. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of something that I don't do it. You know, I don't write articles or books or things all the time. 
But like every day, like I'll, you know, whether it's Twitter, whether I'm just writing down my thoughts or, or like I'll always write something and it's not my main thing, but writing is always in my back pocket. Like I'll always have writing as, as something that I'll come out of nowhere with, with something written if I'm inspired by it. Like, and I, I try to keep my writing sharp, you know, but you know, the, in terms of the, like the DJing, I basically dropped, I didn't officially drop it, but I just, it just petered out and I have no interest. And then, you know, <laughs> in terms of, you know, rapping, none whatsoever, none. And, and producing, like making beats, no interest. So like those three, those three things, when I cut that out, it's kind of like when you have a computer in, or your phone and you delete like things off your Google Drive or you delete images or videos from your phone and you look at the bar and like the, 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 the memory in the phone starts to like, like you're at like 98% capacity in your Gmail and then you delete like a thousand emails and now you're at 66. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the same thing. Like when you delete all these things that are kind of like, you know, tertiary, you know, right. income streams, all of a sudden now you're running at like 50%, like, like, like you, instead of being at like 98% capacity, now you're down to like 44 Right, even if you delete stuff like from your Gmail or whatever, there's still like a relief that you see. Like it's almost like you see, like you, you like you hear the app breathing again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you almost feel like it's it's like speeding up the process by deleting stuff and like you know you 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 dump a bunch of stuff on your computer that's junk in the trash and then you hear that. It's like it thanks you. <laughs> like thank you yeah, for deleting and like, it. And then the computer starts to run faster. You see what I'm saying? So like that that's what happened with me. Like when I started cutting out things that were no longer interesting no i that no longer gave me any kind of anything <laughs> i just basically cut them and you know that enabled me that freed up so much time to focus on what i was passionate about and what i was willing to work on and that's something that you only learn through experience you know you have to like be where i was trying to juggle all these things and just being frustrated because like you're stuck in neutral. And um, that's something, you know, I'll, I don't give people advice because my path is gonna be different than yours. You have to come up, you have to try things, experience them and figure out what works for you. But that's one universal piece of advice that I, I give people when they ask. It's like, if you, if you can try to narrow it down, man, and, 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 and just hyper-focus because then, you know, you'll be able to get gigs doing that whereas if you just do it if you do it once a week then the guy who's doing it every day is going to just take your work <laughs> and rightfully so you know so that's what you have that that's it's, it's hard to do because we all need money but it's like you know it, it's just something that ultimately would make everything a lot more quality you know from the writing to the reporting to the music to you know it's like when rappers back in the day wanted to make their own beats because they didn't want to pay producers and their records got bad, or, <laughs> you know, or like, you know, you know, somebody who's a master guitar player doesn't want to pay, you know, pay a saxophonist. So he just sits there and tries to play the horn himself. Like it's going to hire the pro, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like and you and you need time to become a pro. You need time. You, you, like time is your most valuable currency. You need time, time, time to focus and, and practice and put in what you got to put in, you know. What does your your fan base look like these days in comparison to when you were, you know, just putting out rap albums in comparison to just doing like the drumming stuff now? Is there any difference? Is there any uh, anything that's same about it? 
Well, I get way less all caps statements, like like comments on on my post. Like when it was hip hop, like every every like every comment was like in all caps with all these crazy emojis and people talking all like it was just like like what are you trying to say, dog? And then you go to their page and it's like a guy with like a crazy hockey mask and like an MPC 2000. And yeah, I'm the breakbeat loop killer, destroyer, murderer. And I'm just like, yo, man, like, dude, these dudes are out of here, man. Like, and I was like, man, like, and then I was terrified of my Facebook back then because I just had a lot of like just strange, strange people leaving comments. And then, you know, like as, I started to move towards where I am now. Like I started to get a lot of complaints from those guys. Like, yo, Zoe, man, what you doing, man? Yo, you ain't rapping. It was like weird. And then like, I noticed my, uh, my, my following count like started shrinking. So I guess they started following me or, you know, or spam bots or whatever. But I noticed like Facebook, I lost like thousands of followers and I was like, well, I guess that's what it is, you know? And then now it's kind of like, I have, you know, it's a mixture, you know what I'm saying? It's it's a mixture of things. You have some hip hop cats still left that actually, you know, they'll appreciate what I'm doing. Like, yo, I appreciate what you did before, but I appreciate what you do now too. And that's what you call your diehards. And when you meet those people in life, buy them a beer because there's only one in a million, you know, like people who, you know, stay with you through all these changes. And, you know, and then other musicians, singer, songwriters, other drummers, you know, they've all been pretty supportive which is great. Um, and it, it's cool. Like, and I interact with the comments, you know, with, when people, you know, people are digging what I'm up to and, you know, and, and if I find like a kindred spirit, you know, when it comes to drums or funk or any of the things I'm doing, it's like, I, you know, I'll talk to them. I kind of get a kick out of that corresponding with people, you know, like, Oh, I noticed, you know, you have a snare drum made by this company and then we'll get into a whole thing about, <laughs> You know, we're getting a whole thing about Ajax snare drums. Right, <laughs> you know right. I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's kind of like, and it's super cool, you know, you know? And um, so I, I think that it's it's kind of like, uh, the, the, there's a mixture. There's, there's a mixture of hip hop heads that are, that are sane. And then, mod, you know, people who are into funk and jazz and soul and, you know, singer songwriters and DJs and, People who are music nerds. I have a lot of just music nerds. People who just love music. Because I'm a music nerd before anything, man. I love so many kinds of music and appreciate it all. And, you know, I've always been that way. I listen to everything. And, you know, in the in the, in the the course of one day, I'll go from, you know, just all over the place. I'll go from Chick Corea to Broken English Click to, you know, Rasputin Stash <laughs> in, in the span of an hour. You know, like, it's just, it's just, that's just how I am, you know? And then I'll turn on the monkeys and then I'll listen to, you know, then I'll listen to, like, some some uh, new wave from the early 80s, Wasno, Wasmo Nariz or something like that. Like, I'll just randomly, then I'll put on some Soft Machine, then some Miles, then, you know, some Hendrix, then, you know, just, just random schmandom gang, Poison Clan, you know? Like, I'll just, <laughs> I'll jump, I'll jump you know, all over the place. Yeah, I'm the and, same way. <laughs> you know, you're from Detroit. Like, I have dice in my iTunes. Like, I, just, nice. I listen yeah. to everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the 40, the 40 made me do it. And after the 40 made me do it, I listened to Max Roach. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's, that's just the way that I am, you know? So, um, 
and and it's kind of cool when you know you realize that there's people out there who just like everything and regardless of how they know me if it was from back in the days with hip-hop or now with drumming and funk and do rights like if they if they're just musical people then it's like they can kind of appreciate it all and you know you, you have a connection with people and, I, and that's super cool i dig that you know you know outside of your own sort of like self-happiness going this route you know getting into the drumming putting out these uh you know drum, drumming records has there been you know any other positives that you've noticed that um kind of you know came into your life in comparison to you know that might not have been there earlier on in your life yeah i mean i think it's kind of like um that's a good question i i think just like a lot of you know during my career like i was a caregiver for my grandmother through the hip-hop stuff and especially after the hip-hop stuff you know and it i love you know my grandmother like i miss her like crazy man and it's it's like it hurts that she's not here you know but i i know towards the end she had dementia and it was just a lot of weight to carry like to see somebody like your partner in crime we live i lived with her for 17 years she you know I was here every weekend as a kid. She had a huge hand in raising me. And, you know, during those years, I would say when I was learning the drums and then I kind of came back, like after the book and I came back and did the two rap albums, like I was like happy to be back in music and I was definitely happy to be playing drums. But like, I think the frustration of like feeling like I had to do the hip hop career just because and hanging on and then the just the the daily grind of like somebody close to you, you know, like deteriorating, you know, with dementia. She was in her nineties by that point. Like I think the daily grind of being a caregiver and then the daily grind of just wanting to just abandon my rap career entirely. <laughs> they were going on at the same time. Right. And and she passed away like right before my birthday, my 39th birthday in 2016. And there was, it was it was obviously super sad, but then there was a little bit of relief because she wasn't suffering anymore. She was at peace. And towards the end, she wanted to know if I was happy. And right after she passed, my final rap album, Fish and Grits, it was already in production. Like the CD was about to go to the plant or whatever it was, and, you know, right as she was on life support. <laughs> and it's like when she passed, it was kind of like, a, it was like symbolic of, now it's time to like complete like now now's the time to do your entire life over like a chapter has closed like the caregiver the caregiving element of living with my grandmother the the hip-hop career like i discovered the drums and the things as part of that but it was kind of like then i had the do rights kind of going and i had things going on but i kind of felt like my love for being a hip-hop artist really died in 20 2006 and I was kind of hanging on because I felt I had to. And like when she passed, like the album Fishing Grits came out, I did no promotion. I hadn't done any shows since 2007 anyway. I had never performed when I did, even when I did come back. So it was kind of like the album came and went. I was part of a, a hip hop group at the time, like a super group that never came out. And we had one disastrous show at South by Southwest and the whole time. And I, that was the one time I rapped between 2007. And now I only rapped on stage one time. It was with this group in 2016. And it was in March, like two weeks after my grandmother died. I did this show with the group. 
I had like two, like the minute I got on stage, I just, I just said, I'd rather do three years of jury duty than spend three more minutes on this fucking stage. (laughs) Like, that's just like, that's what I was thinking. And I was like, I hate this shit. (laughs) And it was like, we weren't well rehearsed. We weren't prepared. It just was a bad experience. It was in South by Southwest. I'm coming out my pocket for an Airbnb. Like it, it was just like, I remember being in my Airbnb after the show. We got booed. It was like bad. And it, it was because we just weren't prepared. And it was the, cr- the crowd was like a young millennial crowd. And we were up there with instruments. And I was rapping and playing drums. I was tripping over chords, trying to get from the drum set to the mic. And then I'm like, forgetting rhymes I'm freezing and, and that was kind of symbolic of like yo you're doing too much right and it was like yo, my, I was still sore from my grandmother passing I had gone through a lot of personal turmoil in my personal life right when my grandmother died so I was on the verge of like a nervous breakdown and then I had this South by Southwest experience and my final rap album is set to come out in two weeks and I was just like when I got home from South by Southwest I just remove myself from that situation. The album came out. I did what I had to do to promote it and get rid of the CDs or the vinyl or whatever it was. And once that was off my plate, by the time we got to like Memorial Day 2016, I felt like a fucking elephant had been lifted off my chest. Just the the anxiety of being a caregiver and someone on your watch could like pass at any minute. It's like that. And then the hip hop, the, the, the negative feelings about the hip hop career, but feeling like I had to be in it, all the personal shit, the group I was in, like I had to rap and I just, I was totally conflicted and just, I kind of did one jump. Everything just went off my chest between February and April of 2016. In those two months, like all these things in my personal life and in my professional life, everything that was there that was just weighing on me little one by one they just started to lift and then that summer i just kind of had like this i I just kind of had this like rebirth and then you know it took a while to get adjusted to it by the time i got into 2017 i turned 40 in 2017 february and then i found my groove but 2016 was like this massive just metamorphosis of of things and a lot of emotions and a lot of change and a lot of letting go. I just had to let go of things in personal and professional. And it all happened in those early months of that year, like one by one by one. And it was turbulent, but it was necessary. Like you had, it's like now we're going through turbulence and hopefully there's a greater good. And then that's exactly (laughs) what happened during that time. And now when people say, why don't you go back to this? Or why don't you go back to that? Or why don't you do that again? I can say with total confidence, no, I'm good. (laughs) You know, because I, I, it took, I went through the process of removing myself from things and starting my life over. And, you know, to like that, it's kind of like the Miles Davis ethos that he has, like where it's like, he never wanted to go backwards like he just kept reinventing himself and the jazz like and and also I I read Miles Davis book about four times in in the since 2017 like during this time I discovered his his autobiography and besides being hysterical and having amazing stories and all kinds of crazy stuff it's just like it's just a metaphor for life like sometimes people are kind of tell you you shouldn't burn bridges but sometimes you got to burn bridges because you have to force yourself to not look back. Exactly. And reading that book, 
Exactly. Like, you know, him going into the fusion era after having, like, basically, you know, the, in the, the bop era, the post-bop, and then the, the, great, you know, the great group that he had with Tony Williams, Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter, et cetera, Herbie Hancock. Like, then he goes electric, and the jazz critics fried him. <laughs> for like bitches brew and and on the corner live evil thing you know silent way like he started to make move he started moving in this direction of more rock and funk and 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 those those records kind of broke ground for what will become a, you know experimental and hip hop and dubstep and disco and all these genres that came decades later started with those albums but at the time they fried him for it and yeah. it, it just cost him a his a, chunk of his jazz audience but he had to sacrifice all that to to do what was in his heart and to not look back and like reading that story is what inspired me like yo you're gonna get all kinds of blowback like people knowing you as a rap artist for 20 something years they grew up to your music they have all this nostalgia to the stuff you created and then you turn around and become a drummer with a funk band <laughs> and and it's like they're like what the hell you know but when you look at music as a business, that's a stupid move because if if you're McDonald's and you change the ingredients in a Big Mac, people are going to be pissed off. But art, art and business mix. But then it's like, as a, you know, your business mind says, okay, please my audience, give them the old one too, don't mess up the formula. But then the artist side of you, you know, it's like you have this inner turmoil where you're like, I just want to be somewhere totally else. Right. And by doing that, it's going to cost me financially. You know, I have to start over. Like everything I accomplish as a hip hop artist means absolutely nothing. And what I'm doing now, because it's kind of like when rappers become DJs, when their records stop selling. Okay, <laughs> people will come to your first gig because you're on the flyer and they love the rap that you did. But if you suck and you train wreck, then it's like. Nah, you know, we, nah, they're nah. not. They're not going to come to the second one, and then it's like you're taking money away from DJs who've been doing this for 10, 20 years, and they deserve exactly. that gig. And you're you you can't like you can't take currency in Venezuela and then go to Iceland and, and buy something with it. You see what I'm saying? Like you can't take currency from one country and go to another and go to the store and buy a bottle of water. And it's the same thing with music. When you change lanes, whatever notoriety you have from your past. It's a cool footnote in your bio, but it ain't, you know, I, I, I'm a, I toured playing drums with a soul singer named Ben Parani. We had to play every single night for weeks at a time. Pimps don't pay taxes made in 2001. Yeah, it's great, but that ain't going to get me through the gig. If, if I <laughs> rush or drag or blow something, I can't say, hey, I'm the guy who made Pimps don't pay taxes, remember? <laughs> You're right. a goddamn drummer and you fucked up. <laughs> so that's I learned that lesson you know what I'm saying like what you did in the past is its own separate canon that has to be judged separately and when you move into a new discipline the currency don't translate you have to start from zero so even though I might have holdover fans and people who like the whole journey and they respect everything and they're still around like my achievements don't mean anything with one of my experience means something because being a producer, I know how drums are supposed to sound. Yeah. I knew what I used to sample. So when I make these break records for producers to sample, people love them because I have a hip hop ear. The ear can translate, but the actual skills can't translate. So you, you have to 
start from zero. And, and like looking at Miles, that was all these, the last three years, I just think about him reinventing and dealing with that shit. And now that he's gone and we can look back for the last 70 years, we can see how many times he changed the face of music, but don't ever think that he did it without, you know, serious blowback. You know, he did. And, but that's part of being an art, an artist. If you want artistic, you know, if, if you want financial, you know, stability, then go into something else, man, work for the city. You know, what I'm <laughs> like if you're gonna, you know, if you're going to be an artist and you're going to do it full time, I learned that you, you'll never hear me complaining about money anymore because it's like, I chose this path, man. And I turned down exactly. a lot of money I could have made in hip hop to do this. So you're never going to hear me complaining about, you know, oh, the money sucks. Like I got to split it six ways. I'm in a band. There's five other guys. And when I was a rapper, I had all the money to myself. You're never going to hear me say that because I chose that. Yeah. I chose a path that that you're in a band. You got to split the money. <laughs> like, that, that's just, I, ch I chose it. So for me to being a being a rapper, a producer, a DJ, you get all the money. Or if you're a DJ on a build, two or three of you. In a band, there could be, I've played with 10 people before. And we split the money 10 ways. And I went home with five bucks. You know what I mean? But I chose the path. You know what I mean? So it's like when you, when you choose the path, you, you got to own the whole thing, man. And, and like I learned all these lessons. And I think all of this going on in the midst of all the personal stuff, the career changes, I think 2016 to now, a lot of it was painful and uncomfortable. But I just felt a sense of clarity. I know what I'm up against. I don't have bloated expectations. You know, I'm just enjoying it for what it is because when I did hip hop, I allowed where my career was going to determine how much I loved what I was doing. And that was the mistake. You know, you feel like you should be, oh, you're underrated. You hear the word underrated 55 times a day. And then you start thinking, <laughs> you know Maybe I am underrated. Maybe I am slept on. Then you start. Oh, you're being slept like, on me. Yo, man, these, yo, these cats be sleeping on me, son. Yo, all day. And like, you slept on, slept on, slept on. And I'm just like, and I used to take that shit like, yo, man, I deserve more than I'm getting. Now, <laughs> it's like, I'm in a position where I'm learning. So, I mean, no one's calling me a slept on drummer. They're just like, yo, I love your shit. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I've toured the world 50,000 times and. I can play Buddy Rich solos and then nobody knows who I am. So they're saying that, you know, but it's like, even then, like, regardless of what the outcome is, I'm enjoying the ride itself. And that's something I lost sight of when I was a hip hop artist, because each record in the beginning did better than the previous. So when you get to your fourth album and it don't do as well as the third, you start making records attacking the fans and y'all don't know what you talk about. And I would just be bitter all the time. And then I, it spiraled out of control. And the people like, yo man, you're mad slept on. And yo man, I remember you, I remember your music when I was in college, yo, it's a shame that you're so underrated. And then when my book came out, the book was just catharsis and it was meant to be a funny way of dealing <laughs> with the bitterness. But then people read my book and they were like, yo, his book was so sad. It was so depressing. I'm like, it wasn't depressing. It was, Great, because I closed the chapter. Oh, he never made it. He was doing tours on Greyhound buses, eating Subway sandwiches. He made, he told, he <laughs> sold 14 copies of his last album in the first week. And he was this and that. And everybody was like, yo, I feel so bad. Napster, I never bought your shit. And people are saying all this stuff. And I'm like, give a fuck about that. Like, 
I'm happy. I survived. I'm alive. I closed the chapter. Right, Lee, you're like, this is my thing. This isn't like, this is how I feel. This is like. This is how I feel. And I think that a lot of times, because we're in the era of everybody, social media, everybody's transparent and the, and your people who follow you have direct access. So they feel like they know you. And it's kind of like when you say these things, they take it personal. I, I remember saying, oh, somebody saying, like, oh, I love this song. I was like, yo, I really appreciate it. They were like, yo, what went into that song? I was like, honestly, I don't remember, man. I always hated that song. And they were like, what? How could you be so bitter to your fans? And I grew up on that song. Me and my <laughs> boys used to smoke weed and drive around in the 72 Datsun listening to Pimpstone Pay Tax. Now you tell me you don't like that song. How are you going to be so bitter? I'm like, yo, I just... I made the song when the when by the time the album came out, I was like, yeah, this shit ain't very good. <laughs> and it was just, but again, like that's the era we're in. Like people feel like they need 24 seven access and they feel like they, they, they tell you how much your music has impacted them. And that's amazing. But then they also tell you, like, if you go another, like, why did you go in this direction? Oh, because I, I just, I got, I hated rapping with a passion. Right. And I had I was totally bored producing and had no freaking interest, but I was doing it because why does anybody do their job that they hate? Because this with this because it's their job. They got to eat. They got to pay bills and people expect them to show up. Like, why did you, know, you, you um, with, like when it comes to like being a rapper, like why did you like sort of stick on for so long? Because you said you had that feeling where like for a long time where you felt like you still had to just, you had to keep doing that. And I feel like that's something that's plagued a lot of hip hop artists, no matter where they're from, you know, why did you um, stick on for so long? And why do you feel like that kind of happens throughout hip hop? Multiple reasons for me personally, I stuck around because a, everybody kept telling me, yo, all the stories in your book would make a great song. And like, I, and I, and I'm a writer. I love to write. So writing the songs wasn't the problem. It was, I despised doing shows. I, in interviews, I only wanted to talk about the drums. They're like, yeah, but you just made a rap album. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did rap on it. Like, because me, I would rap the song and have fun. And then the song would be over. I would do like these, like Peter Pan syndrome is just 15 one-verse songs. I do one verse, do the song, and then forget about it. And I put the record out, and then I'm thinking like, yeah, whatever, I'm done. And then people are like, yo, yo. And I'm like, yeah, of course they're going to think that because you released this record and you're rapping, so people are going to ask you about it. It's it's obvious. They were, they were right to ask me about it. But then I just kind of felt like – and also I always had the problem of – I had a very unique – well, I had a production style that was kind of quirky. So you, you liked it or you didn't. And a lot of the beats that I liked, rappers just wouldn't pick. And then rappers are – notoriously flaky you know they just they take 30 beats from you and then they sit on them for three years and then they choose one and the one they chose you sold because you had to pay your, your your bills and why did you sell that i'm like well i gave it to you three years ago and you never let me know that you wanted it so i assume you didn't so <laughs> dealing so dealing with rappers was just i i, I hated it i hated it hated it hated yep. it hated it hated it i hated doing beats with people i hated it right so it was like Towards the end, like after all the years of beat CDs and, you know, in the 2000s, it was like that was the era of the beat CD. Like oh, the beat CD. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. And, and, and after that, it became the uh, the the the, uh, the Dropbox folder or the, the WeTransfer folder yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or just a series of a Gmail attachments. So 
I didn't want to go through that. So I'm like, it's easier for me to just sit down for an hour, write a rhyme, make, um, I was funny, I was witty, and I liked to write. So I would make these songs. But then when the album would come out, people would ask me about it, or they, or I'd have to promote it, or they'd ask me to do a show, and I had no interest. You know, and I think also just like the character, most of my rap stuff, particularly early on, was character-based. And the J-Zone character was this super outlandish, comedic. It was kind of like a stick. Like, it, it was just... It was kind of like how Rudy Ray Moore did Dolomite and, you know, Captain Backslap with the fur coat and rapping about this, cra- you know, just like a lot of shock value stuff. And right. the, the music was well thought out, but it was it was incendiary. So people noted for that. And then between the time I recorded those early records and the time I came back in 2013, 14, like, I was a grown-ass man by that point. I was caregiving for my grandmother who had, a, you know, dementia. I was in the middle of a career change. I had, you know, I was struggling financially. Like, I had a lot of dark shit in my life. And then it's like they expect you to be this jovial, jokey, goofy character. And the more they wanted Captain Backslap Jay's own, the more I had a visceral reaction. I started to be like, oh, I hate that shit. Like, I love the records for what they are. Like me being 26 and full of piss and vinegar, I look back, I look back on sick of being rich. Like, yeah, I was in my bag. You know, I was young and I was crazy. But to to live those moments in my 40s, like to go back and be like, do that to perform that record, those records live now. To to do a 20 year introspective on pimps don't pay taxes next year. Like it would be like, I have no interest. And then it was like. <laughs> People just remember me for that. And in social media, people find you and they'll be like, yo, I remember you from high school. Yo, this, this, that, slap a bitch, drive a Cadillac, UC Lou, uh, old mate billionaires. Uh. And I'm like 23 when I made the record and I'm, I'm 37, 38 when I'm getting this comment. And I appreciate the love, but then, but then part of me is like that I was so far removed from the J-Zone character, and I just felt this pressure when I was making modern J-Zone records to live that character. And then if you listen to Fish and Grits, the last album, 98% of the lyrical content is about, I hate rap. (laughs) Like every song on the album, there's one about my grandfather's Cadillac. (laughs) There's one that's like a a, a kind of like a, a parody of a trap joint. And then every other song is about like, yeah, I'm done with this rap shit. And then I'm like, (laughs) So Fish and Grits comes out, and I'm like, yo, it's a whole album about why I hate rapping. So I'm like, why do that? Why am I taking up space? There's a young kid who loves to rap, who's passionate about rap. Let him get that review. Let him get that tour. Let him get that space because he's passionate. I'm, I don't want to be that bitter old guy who's rapping just because that's all I can do, and I'm just hanging around bitter, mad, not enjoying it, trying to complain about the youth and we got to go back to the nineties. I already lived in nineties. I don't want to go back there. I already lived this shit. <laughs> you know, like I lived right. it once. I don't want to live this shit again. So it's like, I found myself, you know, in all these tropes and just doing things over and over and over again. And, and like the definition of insanity is kind of like doing the same thing over and over and, and getting a different result, you know? And it's kind of like, that's, I, I don't know why I was hanging on, you know, for so long, but it was kind of like, I just felt that, I, I guess if you ask other 
rap artists, like why so many of them do it. A lot of them is financial. I know a lot of guys that can't stand what they're doing. I'm not going to say their names, but they're like, yo, man, I hate this shit. A lot of them, they're like, yo, I hate touring. I hate rapping. I hate doing it. But it's kind of like, but people are still buying it. And right. it's like, I got bills to pay. I got a kid to feed. I got a mortgage. I got a car note. And it's like, this is my job. It becomes equivalent to I hate my job, but my job pays my bills. Like, you know, but in my case, it wasn't particularly lucrative. So it made it a little, A, it wasn't lucrative, and B, I found another passion and I was able to devote time into working on it to, to be able to play professionally with drums. So I had two reasons why I was able to walk away. You know, but in 2008, I didn't have the drums, you know, and my records weren't selling. So when I left music in 2008, between 2008 and 2013, I just had regular jobs. I wasn't doing music at all. I had I had regular nine to fives and gigs, writing gigs. I, I wasn't making any music income in that five year period. So, you know, it was like. It was like, well, if I don't, you know, and the first time around, I was just so just not into it that I just decided to go get a job. And the second time I was like, well, I have some music shit that I am passionate about. Why don't I just try to focus on that? And that's what happened in uh, 2016, you know, and it's like, you don't want to be bitter, man. Like, it's funny, like people, oh, Jay Zones, the curmudgeon, the funny, the grumpy old man. And I kind of got a reputation for that. And that's cool. That's funny. I don't mind it. But it's it's cool to be a grumpy curmudgeon for like a year. Like after a year, it's not cool anymore. Like you got to you got to do something to change your situation. And I was a, I was the grumpy curmudgeon in rap for like five years. There's just some, <laughs> you know, it started with my book and then it, it lasted for four or five years, you know, being a curmudgeon. And it was like, it's cool, but then when, when nobody's watching and you're home alone and you're not online and you're unplugged, your phone's in airplane mode, that bitterness you feel starts to, instead of turning it into a joke for Twitter or a rap song about millennials or a comment on a Facebook thread, it starts to turn inward when you shut your device off and you leave the studio and it starts to eat you at the core and just be doing just not being happy with what I was doing, not being passionate and just being bitter along with the stuff I was dealing with in my personal life with my grandma and all the personal stuff I had going on. I was going to explode if I kept going. Like I was just going to go off the deep end. So, you know, that's why when little by little things started changing for me and I started dealing with these things head on, it made it easier. Like when I lost my grandmother, it was kind of like, okay, it kind of, I had the balls to let go of the rap career once and for all. Like I just went through some serious shit and then I lost my partner in crime. So if I made it through that, I can survive losing a rap career and throwing away whatever money and whatever accolades <laughs> right. and whatever, whatever clout that comes with it, I can get rid of it. You see, it was like when she passed, that was like, that was, you know, when you're about to, when you pay a toll, you're getting on a bridge and the arm comes up for your car to go through. That was kind of like when I when I handled her passing and I was able to get through it, it was almost like her spirit was pushing me like, yo, I'm with you now. Like you've been you, you, your heart ain't in this. You need to make this move. Do it. And I didn't make a grand statement. I didn't retire. I didn't write a fucking press release. I didn't say, <laughs> hey, this is my final album. I just made Fish and Grits. And then a week later, I got the do rights. And then my soul, my social media feed, my Instagram feed changed from 
pictures of my beat machine to drum sets and then with no explanation. And people were like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't need to retire. I just move from one thing to another. And then you figure it out. <laughs> you know, so that that's kind of like what happened in, in, in those in those years. Yeah, know? definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I always, um, you know, I always like uh, ending my interviews with the same question, and I gave it out to you uh, ahead of time to, for you to think about. Who is somebody that, you know, I could realistically have on this podcast uh, that would um, have some great lessons or stories to talk about? I think uh, there's two people I could recommend. One is a guy named Scheme Richards, who is a, a DJ uh, out of the Philadelphia area. He's like a huge funk and soul record collector but he also has like this affinity for like black exploitation and kung fu flicks like the rarest of the rare okay like, all right and and when he does his gigs he's got like the projector up on the screen so you see this super obscure black exploitation movie playing and he's got the records going he's got his own website <laughs> you know he he tours like well before covid he was touring europe and japan like crazy and he just built himself a lane without anybody without he has no like he has no he doesn't really have a bunch of allies he's not part of a crew he doesn't play any top four like he just built his own thing from scratch and i'm just amazed at how he just did that shit and you know like it inspired me to like find my own thing with do rights and with the drum break records and all those things and not latch on to like, okay, I'm going to be part of the drummer community or I'm going to be part of the hip hop community about right. DJ community. Like he's just, he's just DJs know him, respect him. He's in the DJ community, but he's totally independent of everything. He's like an Island. He just got his own thing. And I would say the same for blueprint. Who's a blueprints, a, a rapper and right. um, producer from Ohio, but he also has a, a really great podcast called super duty, tough work. You could find it on YouTube and, Blueprint basically like he had me on his show one of the few and that was one of the best interviews I ever gave because he really understands he's written books yeah you know we're a lot alike he's a self starter and he turns you know you know he'll turn shit into sugar like that's yeah I've 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 always been you know paid attention to his career and he 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 was always on a like intellectual hustle you know it wasn't the same hustle that like all the other hip hop artists were doing he was always trying to stand out and do things in a more, you know, in a smarter way, I guess. Right. And, you know, he's, he's, he, you know, you know, it's very few people I've met throughout the course of my musical path where I meet them and I'm like, yo, he gets it. And I feel like both scheme and blueprint, they get it because when the tides of the industry change and you have your own thing, it doesn't affect you. It's like, you're, it's like you're immune Right. And you can bypass it. And that's what I learned to do, you know, with drumming. I don't want to be like playing with every single band and being, you know, a, just a, a journeyman drummer because drummers age out. Like there's age discrimination with drums like there is with rapping or DJing or anything. Like, you know, when I'm in my 50s, like none of the young singer songwriters are going to want to bring me on the road, you know, and I'm probably not going to want to go on the road because I'm probably <laughs> too old to handle the rhythms of it. But it's like, right. I started my own group. So the Do-Rights is a flagship. It's established. It's planted in the dirt. You know, I have the drum break things. I, le- I know how to compose music and write music. So I, I said in 2016, I was looking at what those guys were doing. I was like, I want, 
I want to create something that's recession proof. <laughs> and it's like, even with COVID, like I've been selling a lot of drum libraries and break records. Like that's what got me through it and session work. Like that's what's gotten me through the pandemic since there's no shows and record sales and sales are slow. I've gotten, I've, I've, I had to open up a new revenue stream with the drum breaks. Do I like sitting there, hit a snare, hit a kick, hit a hi-hat for like days in a row to get a hundred sounds? Do I like doing that? There's other things I like to do more, <laughs> but unlike rapping, it's related to drums. So I love it anyway. I'd right. rather play with people, but you can't play with people right now. I'd rather do do-rights, but I'm doing do-rights. You know, I'd rather play break beats, but not everybody likes break beats. Some people want their kicks and snares and folders. Okay, if that's going to pay my bills this month, then I'll take three days to go and hit every drum individually, tune it five or six different ways, put a wild on it, put a tambourine on it, mic it from across the room, mic it up close. It's tedious and, and it's not my favorite part of, of the drum thing, but I love drumming so much that I don't mind it. And, and doing it to make money doesn't bother me. And these guys all have... They've, they've built themselves careers that are totally independent of the mainstream and then also independent of the trends that come and go. Right. You know, like, like oh, there's a million Funk 45 DJs now. It came in fashion in the last 10 years. <laughs> I did it myself. But Scheme was doing it way before that. And Scheme's record collection is so deep that even with everybody doing it, they're not, he's not, they're not going to be able to compete with him because he has a different way of doing it. And he has a different musical knowledge. Yeah. And when people get fed up because they can't afford a, a $900 45 and then they go move on and play reggaeton or whatever, he'll still be there as the guy to go to for that. Of course. And, yeah. you know, and, and the same way Blueprint, he's doing podcasts for artists, like legitimate career pointers, legit, no fluff, no nonsense, just like real deal, sensible advice and it's like nobody's doing that like nori has a podcast where he brings guys on and i guess joe button has a podcast too like they have guys with it. but nobody's doing what blueprint's doing nobody that they, they, they nobody right <laughs> so in addition to his rap career and his books and his production he's got this pot so he, he's established himself I, I hate the word brand but he's just established himself as this entity yeah he's that, always been like that you know it was just like I think he just kind of got, he, he understood that from the jump. Yeah. And, and like, I want to do the same thing, you know, with drumming. Like I'm a drummer who started as a producer. I don't know how many there are, but I know there's not many. Most drummers start as drummers. Then they become producers. Like, but coming from producing background, I have a different approach to drumming that gives me an island, you know, to exist and, and, and be separate from, guys doing drum, you know, drum offs at Guitar Center, or, you know, playing 50 million 64th notes a minute and having all these chops and, you know, being YouTube, Instagram sensations. I'm never going to be that kind of drummer, but that's okay. Because, you know, there's only a handful doing break records. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, cool, you know, like bigger fish in a smaller pond. And, and those guys understand that and they're able to monetize it and make it respected without anybody else's approval or help. And that's it's it's that you got to be a self starter in music now, man. Ain't nobody coming to give you a deal. Nobody's coming to save you. You ain't gonna get no manager. You got to get up off your ass, man, and and do this shit, man. And and if you're not kind of an alpha dog and a self starter, it's gonna be a rough road for you because there's a lot of people out there who are being groomed to be this way from the jump. They don't know what a record deal is. So, you know, 
these are guys who are older who know about that world, but they can function in the modern world of being self-sufficient. And I think they'd have a lot to offer um, in an interview. All right, great, man. Great suggestions. It's been great talking with you, Jay Zone. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast and sure uh, sharing all these great experiences. So uh, before we come, get out of this, uh, before we end this interview, uh, where can people go online to get more information about what you're about, uh, purchase products, you know, the whole nine yards? Well, um, on Instagram, I'm JZone, don't IG. If you just put JZone in there, you'll find it. Um, and Twitter is JZone, don't tweet. You, you see a theme here, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, Facebook is just JZone 101. But I have my website, official. I still have a website, yes, in 2020. Yeah. And only my dad reads it. Uh, it's called GoVillainGo.com, G-O-V-I-L-L-A-I-N-G-O.com. And I keep... When I was doing shows, I kept my tour dates there. But I, I update it regularly. It's just that people don't read it. I do it for my dad because he's not on social media. But you can go there. <laughs> and then all my music's available, like the physical. Like I do a lot of vinyl, 7 inches, 45s, so all and digital. So all that stuff's at jzone.bandcamp.com. Or if you Google jzone, that's the first thing that comes up, fortunately, is my bandcamp. And then the do-rights.bandcamp.com. Like you Google the do-rights, look for the do-rights. That's where the stuff is sold. All the stuff is on, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and stuff. Um, so, the, you know, that's my social media, my site, and my, you know, band camps where you can buy the music. Um, and if you can't find something, just hit me up on social media. I'll tell you where to go. Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast. Hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash fresh of the word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com and that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh of the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.